week, the message is on overcoming bitterness. You know what the first thing you do? Go to prayer. Seek God's face. Another one is going to be on parenting, another one on marriage. You know, all of those should begin with prayer. And so peace of mind comes from trusting God in prayer. It's the foundation for all those messages that we'll be doing. And so I thought it was fitting um, to do one on prayer. Um, trusting God in prayer. Why pray to God? Why pray to God? One is the fellowship. And, you know, we, we don't pray to God to inform God. Some people are wondering, why do we pray if God already knows everything? Well, again, part of it is fellowship. You know, we don't say something or like, you know, you have a trial. You know, it's not like that's the first time we're actually informing God. God knows. But why pray? Fellowship. Secondly, to grow. You know, it, it, it's, it's we pray, it's we communicate with our Heavenly Father. Um, it's inevitable that we will grow closer to Him. We will grow in our spiritual walk with God. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Thirdly, to be dependent upon Him. You know, when we pray, we are showing or demonstrating our dependence upon God. You know, if God just gave us everything automatically, and we would really lose the concept of depending on Him. So, you know, when we pray, you know, we are recognizing that we are depending on all things from God. Today, we're going to look at an example of two different people that work closely together, but their response to the dangers of their life were completely opposite. And, you know, each one of us could probably see times in our life where, you know what, we kind of represented this person in this time in our life, and maybe at another point in our life, this is who we are. So I'm not trying to, with the message to say, you're either this or that, but let's try to be more of one than the other as we grow closer to the Lord. Go ahead and open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 6, if you haven't already. We'll start in verse 8, and I'm going to be reading portions, and then I'll give some commentary uh, on it. Um, in verse 8, it says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel, and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my king. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And so here, it appears that through divine revelation that God had revealed to Elisha the plans of the king of Syria. And you know, the king privately of Syria would be talking to his servants, talking to his military, and saying, hey, this is our plan, we're going to go conquer here, we're going to go do this and that. Well, Elisha told the king of Israel what those plans were. And it wasn't like he was privy to it, it wasn't like he was there, he was not a servant of the king of Syria. 
But he found out what was going on and reported it to the king of Israel. And doing such, kept, um, kept Israel um, safe. In verse 10 it says, And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. Meaning that it wasn't like just once or twice he saved himself, but over and over and over again they were able to be saved. And so the king had the places fortified to be protected. Verse 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? So he's like, okay, there's somebody on the inside that is reporting what is going on. Kind of have something similar with Russia and Ukraine. You know, there's reports that Putin is getting a little frustrated that, you know, it's not going as quick as he had hoped. He had hoped that it would be about 48 hours. And we're what, in like week four. You know, Ukraine's doing all they can to defend themselves. And so he's kind of stuck, he's even fired, at least the election way, fired about a thousand of his staff. Afraid someone's going to try to poison Afraid that someone's going to try to turn on And it always rallies, you know, it looks like, oh, okay, everyone's being very supportive. No doubt there's some support, but they're mandated to be there. Otherwise, it means prison time or their life. And so you see, you know, there's a little frustration that, you know, it seems like everything we've been planning ends up kind of having some kind of undercurrent or turn around. Well, here in the scriptures, we see something that's actually divine, something that um, God would reveal to the prophet what was going on, and the prophet would give warning, and then Israel would be saved. But the king of Syria was convinced that it was one of his own people that was leaking the secrets that gave Israel a warning about his attempts. Verse 12, and one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, tell of the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And so here he goes, he goes, No, it's none of us. It's none of us that are turning on you, but there is a prophet of Israel, and somehow he knows what you say in your bedroom. So one of the two servants said it was none of them. Verse 13, and he said, Go and spy him where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dauphin. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and to pass the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, and gone forth, behold, and host come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? Here the servant of the man of God is frightened. Frightened. He's worried. He's anxious. I think that's a natural response. You know, you just imagine if around our city, that all of a sudden, there were these armies of horses and chariots. Or if you say, Adam today, or in Ukraine, that tanks just surrounding your city. 
fearful. Be like, what in the world is going on? This is going to be the end of our life. The king of Syria sent a spy to find Elijah and found where he was. And now all of a sudden there's a great army. So Elijah woke up frightened, terrified. Natural response. But that's one we're going to look at. Because you know there is a difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. Is there any answer? It's Elisha. It says, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Can you imagine Elisha's servant being like, What in the world are you talking about? Here we are, here in your house, or where they were staying. Maybe there were some others. And you're saying there's more of us? Look at this whole city is surrounded. Armies, men of might, military, men, men prepared to fight, to go to battle. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes, that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. Round about Elisha. See, Elisha did not respond with fear, even though it was a fearful circumstance. But he put his trust in his God and prayed that God would open his servant's eyes. And he saw a heavenly army that circled him. So, with a bow around the city is the enemy of Israel. But then right around Elisha and his servant and whoever else that maybe were present was an army from heaven that he couldn't see with his eyes. It was an invincible army until Elisha prayed and said, Lord, can you open his eyes that he may see the angelic realm, that he may see what surrounds him, that there is the God of providence, and no matter what comes against us, who could really be against the elect of God? Who can be against God's children? Verse 18, and when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord again, we see, and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Well, the other week I mentioned something along the lines of, you know what, you shouldn't like pray a curse on someone, okay? Praying isn't about witchcraft, or trying to cast spells or anything like that. And then, so at first I looked at this and go, oh, is this praying a curse on them? No, you know what, this may be a temporary thing where, you know what, he's asking them to be blinded. You know what, there are stories of those that were in communist China um, and India, um, where they were trying to smuggle Bibles in. They were like, you know what, Lord, pray, Lord, that the soldiers would just be blind to what we're doing. And somehow they went, they were able to smuggle the Bible in and just be made, made free, freely able to get in and get the Bible in. And so this isn't so much praying for a curse, as we'll see. 
um, we'll see what, how Elijah treats him. We never prayed for him to die or um, for him to struggle on those sides, but for now, he did pray that they would be quiet. The Lord was smiting him with quietness. There's only one other uh, time where we see this happen, and it was it was Sodom and Gomorrah, where the angel struck the men with blindness with a bright light. And that's where it gives this idea that there was this bright light, maybe it's from the chariots of fire. I don't know, but that's a possibility. But they were smitten with blindness. And Elijah said unto them, This is not the way. Neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. And so here, Elijah's like, hey, he's the man. But he's like, you know what? Come with me. I'll, I'll take you to the man. I'll take you to where Elijah is. And takes them into Samaria. He led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elijah, When he saw them, my father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And so basically, Elijah led them right into their captivity. Now they were prisoners of war. He led them while they were blind, and then he asked the Lord to open their eyes, and then the king is like, hey, what should we do now? Should we kill them? Is this what we're going to do? You know, here's the army set. We're after us trying to kill us. Shall we kill them? We'll get Elisha's response. And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. So I go, let's feed them. Let's give them something to drink, and let's release them. Let them go back to their master. And he prepared great provision for them, and when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. They experienced the mercy of God through the hand of Elijah. Led them right in where they were captive, where they could have been put to death. He fed them, gave them drink, and let them, let them go. It made such an impact on them. That makes me think about, you know, when you maybe have those that hate you, despise you, when you pray for them, minister to them. You know what Jesus said? You know, if thy enemy be hungry, feed them. You know, do good unto those that feed you evil, that you will keep coals of fire on their head, that it affects their conscience. So you look at what has just happened. Elisha's life was in danger. The enemy's army had surrounded where Elisha was sleeping. His servant was so nervous about what to do as he saw that the army was not there for a peaceful assembly. It's not why they were there. They weren't saying, hey, we're just having a peaceful protest. No, they meant war. It was after their, they were after their lives. To the servant of Elisha, it was the end. And what are we going to do? There's 
nothing we can do. How are we going to battle this? But fear and anxiety was not going to be the solution to their dilemma. Elisha was confident that they would survive and do just fine. Elisha was not shaken even by who had surrounded either his house or the place he was staying. Elisha allowed faith to guide his mind instead of fear. Now what separated Elisha from his servant that gave him confidence? It's found in two words. Elisha prayed. Elisha prayed. That's what was the difference between his servant and him. He sought God instead of just looking at the circumstances. He looked at the one who can deliver him. So if you don't want fear to control your life, pray with confidence. There's no substitute for prayer. Now you can't get substitutes for some things. What are, do anybody maybe have any examples? What are some things you can get a substitute for? Yeah. You cap? Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. You said calf, you get caffeinated, you get decaf. Okay? Or you could just not drink coffee. Okay? Drink something else. Amen? You gotta be careful. I shouldn't be saying that about this church. So. I'd rather be here another decade or so. Amen? Better not start preaching on coffee. Amen? But, okay? Yes? Okay, sometimes those ingredients. Okay, sometimes there's sugar and there's other sweeteners. Honey, you can use instead of sugar. Or you can use chemicals that are going to kill you faster, either way. Um, anybody else? Any other things you can think of that you can have a substitute? Substitute teacher. Okay, substitute teacher. Okay, Candace probably knows about that. Okay, maybe when she needs a substitute, if she never does this work. Or maybe when she has served as a substitute in the past. Some things you can't substitute, though. Now, Nobody can substitute for my wife, amen? Okay, other things you can substitute for. Let's say, break my arm, needs to be removed. Uh, they could possibly put an artificial limb. Break a leg, you know, maybe you put an artificial leg and it won't be exactly the same, but it's a substitute. Other things, you know, let's say, if this pulpit gets severely damaged, is substituted with another one. Some things you could change out, substitute. If you don't want to use the telephone to communicate, you could use a fax machine. I think that's kind of outdated now, but people still use them. Okay, at my work, they still get fax, uh, faxes there, so sometimes you're communicating by a fax machine instead of telephone. If you don't want to use a fax machine, then you can use email. If you don't want to use email, you can use email. Telephone or telewoman makes no difference. It could be a good substitute, amen? Telephone or telewoman. The message will get out! Oh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Get in all those death stairs. <laughs> Got that from another preacher, okay? <laughs> Amen. I said there are some things you can't get a substitute for. But there is no substitute for the power of prayer. 
First, the only thing that will make your faith grow when fear wants to drown. The message of fear certainly may be valid. Okay? It's a frightening situation to have the armies all around you, coming against you. That's understandable. It's, it's a valid concern. And I'm not saying that what fear is telling you is not real, whatever it may be in your life. But fear never takes into account the power of prayer and faith. Believing in prayer can be the method God uses to open your eyes, to see what God is doing, to protect you with the armies that bring fear into your life. When life throws problems your way, trusting God in prayer is the answer. Jesus said, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. All things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. And there's that belief, there's that faith, there's that confidence that your Heavenly Father wants to answer your request. It's in Matthew 21, 22. Let it turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 5. It says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that give to all men liberally, and upbraid of not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So again, James is basically reiterating what Jesus said. When you pray, when there's belief, when there's faith, when you're believing, you shall receive it. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You know, you think about all throughout history, you think about when Elijah was mocking the pagans, that the pagans would cry out to their false gods and to their idols, that, that um, the fires would come up and, and burn the sacrifice, praying to a false god. There Elijah goes, and he cried louder! Maybe he's so far off. Maybe your gods are on a journey. Maybe he's sleeping. Cry louder. They started crying louder. Nothing happened. But yet they had a confidence in him. They had confidence in delights. They can't see, they can't speak, they can't hear. And here we have Christians today that have the one true loving God, and we lack faith at times. But we have one true living God that does hear, that does see. But we respond how we should respond to dumb idols. You know what you know, that's going to be? Nothing. We treat God as if he's a dumb idol at times. And so if we want to learn to trust God in prayer, we got to put that trust in our prayer to trust God, to have confidence. 
that double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and that we ought not to expect to be blessed of the Lord if we pray something just out of ritual, out of routine, or just because we're trying to be an example to our kids if we don't really believe in it. What our kids get the sense that we really want them to see is not just hear your words of prayer, but to see your faith. To see that you really believe that God is going to answer that prayer. After you pray, leave it with the Lord instead of being consumed by it. Doesn't mean you can't pray about it. And, you know, we'll see it shortly. Now, you know what God desires is to continue of praying. But once you pray, don't be consumed with the fear and the anxiety. Trust God in prayer so much that you're willing to share your confidence with others that God will answer it. And you know, if someone asks you, you know, how's this going to work out? You know, oh, God's going to take care of it. Respond in faith that you had prayed and you believe that God is going to answer it. Now, God does seek for, for us to seek Him continually. God desires for us to seek Him continually. We shouldn't be shocked by that. My wife desires me to seek her continually and give her attention over and over again. I can't just give her attention one day and go, okay, that's good for the week. And I can't just be like, hey, I gave you time in the couple's retreat. That's good enough for the year. She decides for me to continually to seek after it. She's got to hold me accountable to this, too. She's right now playing this on a recorder. Just plays the play, play again and again. God desires us to seek Him continually. Go ahead and go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. It's not a 10 o'clock. Luke chapter 11. Verse 5. And he said unto them, What should you shall have a friend? And shall go unto him at midnight, and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. And he's answering kind of within the yard. Why are you bothering me at midnight? I don't want to come to the door. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And you know that continual knock. Continual knock. Shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. 
For everyone that asks and receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Is Jesus saying that God is like the man in bed that is annoyed, doesn't want to be bothered? No. It's not comparing God to that man saying, you know what, God just doesn't want to be irritated with our requests. Now he's trying to illustrate that, hey, here's a friend that, you know what, as flawed as he is, you know, you think about the perfect God, who is always ready, ready to give you an answer. He's saying, you know, you want to be that one that's knocking. Knock. Knock continually. Ask. Seek. Knock. He that asks, receives. Okay, just the other week. My daughter asked if she could order some dresses. Said yes. She had never asked. She would have never received them. Now her brothers are like, okay, what did we ask for? <laughs> okay. And then she got them. And then mom opened them and tried them on and goes, oh, I like this. I'm keeping this. <laughs> She's like, oh, that's mine, mom. You see? Ask. Shall receive. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Seek, and you shall find. You know children love to play hide and seek. And almost without fail, usually they're going to be found. If someone keeps looking. But there are those times where people just give up. Oh, I can't find them, and they quit. And they don't find them. They let themselves out. But ask, seek, and knock. That's what God wants us to do in our prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 1. He speaks a parable unto them to this end that men not always to pray and not to faint. This week, I'm supposed to be getting up. My wife asks, Can you get it up? Like I'm praying. I'm like half asleep. So, like, what are you praying about? And I'm like, I don't even know what I'm praying about. But the Holy Spirit's praying for me. The Bible says, The Spirit of God, bigger groanings which cannot be uttered. So, like, why are you lying? Get up! <laughs> but you know, it's a wonderful thing the Holy Spirit does actually pray on our behalf. We do have an intercessor. But you know, Jesus did say to pray and not to faint. You know, we think about, you know, sometimes there's 15 minutes of continual prayer, like that's a long time. Jesus said to his disciples after an hour, and his disciples fell asleep. It's like, can he not pray just one hour? Just an hour. I'll be honest with you. It's easier for me to preach for an hour than for me to pray for half an hour. But you know what? The power is more in the prayer than in the preaching. It's the prayer that helps embolden the preaching. That the Spirit of God empowers. It was reported that Martin Luther prayed um, so many hours in the day. Someone was like, how do you have time to pray so long? And he's like, 
How do you not have time to not pray? How do you, how do you, or how do you have to have time to not pray? He goes, I'm so busy. I got too many things to do. I can't but afford to pray to God. Saying, there was a city in, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded men. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The issue she was bringing before her judge. Just so I know, dismiss it. I don't want to hear. But she kept on coming. Kept on coming. He's like, he's going to go. He's in trouble. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. Okay, he's the God. Jesus is not comparing God to an unjust judge. But he is comparing us to how we ought to be as his widow. That continually seeks an answer. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on him. Is God going to find faith in us when we go to him? Or is he going to see down? When should you stop asking? When should you stop seeking? When should you stop knocking? When should we stop praying? Number one, when you have what you've asked for. And when you've received what you've asked God for. And you don't need to continue to pray about that particular thing or issue. God answered your prayer. Number two, when you don't have the answer in your hand, but you have it in your heart. And there are times where you know it doesn't seem like God's given you a verbal answer or made it clear, but God's given you an answer in your heart. That you know he has it taken care of. You know you don't need to keep praying about it. God's given you an answer, giving you peace. Maybe it wasn't what you thought it would be, but God's given you the peace in your heart. Thirdly, when God says no. Okay. God says no. You don't need to keep asking. Okay. You know, Paul asked God to remove the thorn from his flesh three times. God said no. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in Paul no longer asks after those three times. Okay, God already gave an answer. Okay, if God's given you an answer, you can stop praying about it. Now, sometimes it's not an outright no, but maybe there's a delay. Maybe it's not yet. Maybe it's not now. You know, God will give you peace of mind, peace in your heart when that time is to seek Him. Paul responds, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest in me. 
lost my last page of notes. You're like, bummer, you found <laughs> Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, verse 9. We're almost done. Matthew 7, verse 9. But you see the love of a father. Jesus says, Sir, what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then be an evil, as you have sinful natures, okay, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask? See, I delighted in ordering that dress for my daughter. Second, my wife would like it. Jesus. But I delighted to give that to her. I delight to answer my children. And sometimes the answer is no, no, we can't do it. Or sometimes no, we can't afford that now. Or don't think that's the need. Right now, you know, you think of a child um, that just grabs a knife, a toddler, a sharp knife. Okay, and we're like, nope, okay, we need to get that taken away. And it's for his benefit. And sometimes God tells us to know about things for our good. We may not understand it at the time, but God watches after us. And so you, when we read this passage, you understand what we have when we pray. We have a Father who will hear us, and a King who will answer us. We have the sympathy of a Father and the sovereignty of a King. In the Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. Have a Father and we have a King that's sovereign. God alone knows how many blessings we could have had if we had just asked. God alone knows how many blessings we could have had if we had just asked. How many of us miss out on the blessings of God because we don't ask God. Remember, how much we miss out We may never know unless we ask, okay? And we may see the answer. You see, the tragedy in Christian lives isn't unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. Think about what, how it would have been different if Elisha was like, you're right, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's try to hide. We had not prayed. We had not had confidence in his God. Tragedy in Christian lives isn't unanswered prayer. That's not the dilemma we have. It's unoffered prayer. I heard this in the couple's retreat. The devil can't keep God from answering prayer. So he'll work to keep you from asking. He can't stop God from answering, but if he can keep you from asking, he's won a victory in your life. So maybe learn to trust God in prayer. No matter what the situation is, no matter what the challenge is, may we seek God to knock, to ask repetitively. You'll see your prayers answered. Yes, there are times where we don't get the answers we want, or there are times where it seems like God isn't hearing us. The Bible does say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, 
the Lord shall not hear me. Okay? So there are other situations where, yeah, maybe God won't answer. The Bible does also say, um, you receive not, because he asks the miss, that you may consume it with your lust. That's just a heart of covetousness. Doesn't mean you can't pray for things that you desire, things that you would like to have. There's nothing wrong with a child praying, Lord, could I get this toy? Nothing wrong with that at all. But God loves hearing the prayers of children. You know, like children love to see answers to their prayers. It's a neat thing to see. And again, you know what? Sometimes so God might be known. You know what? You have enough toys. No, be content with what you have. And that's where we're great to have a Heavenly Father that knows what's best for us, that watches after us, and we can trust in matter what the situation is. Let's pray. Yeah, you can go ahead and play the song of invitation. Heavenly Father, may you increase our faith. May we see answers to prayer. May we ask, seek, knock, May your will be done in our hearts. Thy will be done in our hearts. Lord, make my will be conformed to your will. Love you, Lord. Before you this morning, congregation, maybe there's something on your mind that you need to pray about. Maybe you have been. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Maybe you haven't been. Maybe you've been worried about it. You've been fretting about it. Maybe you've been having anxiety attacks. Panic attacks. You're troubled. Bring them to the feet of Jesus. Trust. Have a father that has sympathy for you and he's a need that can give you whatsoever he desires. Ask. God so ask you to pray for this Sunday. Pray that the Lord just brings people in. It's been here throughout history and that we be able to make an impact on them. You know, maybe some of them are children of parents that used to come here. Children of grandparents. Maybe some of them are even safe. Maybe they'll come. So we pray for that. For the church, be a gospel witness, make an impact in our community. I ask you this morning, pray something big for you in your life. Pray something small, pray something.
you're able to stick around, appreciate it. If you're not, you've got things you don't completely understand. Um, basically, we're just wanting to get the sanctuary really cleaned up really well. We, we should go ahead and add another row of chairs, um, just in case, um, just so we can be ready. We have them upstairs. There are the kids' class. We might have some in here as well. I'm not sure. Um, and then the fellowship hall, um, we want to focus on getting clean up in there, the restrooms um, and such. And maybe we just do like 40 minutes, maybe half an hour, and we just get done with what we can. Don't want to keep you long or keep you from lunch. And um, maybe do a little bit on Wednesday and also on Saturday um, with some decorations and stuff. Um, today we can get the chair tables and chairs up after that. Um, God bless you. Come, come on Wednesday and we'll be having a time of Q&A. Oh, wait, I have to turn off. Wow.